The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Great to be back together. First Sunday of the new year. Glad that you're uh, here in in church, uh, uh, worshiping together with the family. Uh, Just great to start the new year together. And uh, man, I'm excited about tomorrow night. Woo-woo, Clemson Tigers. I know I've been... I know I've been talking smack all year long, and uh, but hey, win or lose, hey, we're in the game. I'm excited about it, and uh, so nobody call me tomorrow night between like eight or even. I already told the staff that we might just take Tuesday off around here. Either I'm gonna be really happy celebrating, or I'm be really sad. So anyway, but we're not taking the day off, staff. By the way, on Tuesday, that's just a just a joke. Um, hey, a couple of things in your bulletin though that I want to do uh, highlight for you. There's a couple of inserts in there uh, that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, we're, we're having a marriage conference coming up uh, in February. We're actually starting, a, uh, we start a brand new series today, uh, but we begin another series uh, the second week uh, of February uh, called The Vow. And uh, in that series, during that series, we're going to be hosting a marriage seminar on Friday night, uh, let's see, Friday night, February the 22nd, and then Saturday morning the 23rd. And uh, we'd love for you to sign up for that. I, I, jokingly, somebody uh, this morning told me uh, it was a wife. She goes, I am making my husband come, come to that. And I was like, okay, that's a great attitude. No, um, <laughs> No, no, no. She, she meant well. And, uh, but hey, husbands, let me just let you in on a little secret. You ought to just go up to your wife and go, hey, honey, we have a great marriage, a great relationship. I love you, but I, let's make it even better. Let's do this thing. Man, you will earn so many points. And uh, it's all about stickers on your sticker chart. So that's uh, trying to help the guys out there a little bit. Um, also, next Tuesday night... Um, I want, uh, if, you, if you are an adult, if you're a human being, but especially if you work with children, uh, either here at Coastal or in the community, uh, students or children, uh, come to the Darkness to Light uh, seminar that we're hosting, training, prevention, uh, sexual abuse prevention training that we're hosting. That's next Tuesday night. Both of those things, uh, the information's there in your bulletin, and you can sign up for both of those things in uh, on your Connect card. I think they're the first and last uh, box there on the my uh, next steps or uh, there on the back of your Connect card. So today we are kicking off um, a brand new series called In the Beginning. In the Beginning. Basically, it's going to be kind of a an overview of the book of Genesis, uh, the very first uh, book of the Bible. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my guess is it's probably been a while since some of you have frequented the uh, pages of Genesis. Uh, Unless, of course, you've just recently started a one-year Bible reading plan. Now, I realize that as we begin a series like this, um, it's possible that you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Chris, You know, you can dress this up as much as you want, but we are still going to be looking at the Old Testament. I mean, come on. The Old Testament is boring. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't relate to my life whatsoever. First of all, I beg to differ. Um, I don't think the Old Testament is boring at all. It's very exciting, especially if you're reading through uh, the book of Genesis. But I actually believe that today's world is a whole lot more like the world of the Old Testament than we realize. Think about this, violence, confusion, a hunger for God, but sometimes wondering if he truly exists, uncertainty about the future, awareness of your enemies. That's basically the world in which they lived every day of the Old Testament, 
And in my mind, it sounds a lot like our world today. And then, in Romans 15, 3 in the New Testament, we read this. Listen to this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so here's the Apostle Paul saying, hey guys, everything that was written in the Old Testament was written for our benefit. You know, to teach us about the nature of God, about who he is, to give us endurance, encouragement, and hope. And I don't know about you, and I don't know where, you're, where you find your life at this morning, but those are great things, and I, I need those things in my life. And then I want you to think about this. Our goal as a Christian uh, is to become more and more like who? Like Jesus, right? And think about this. What was one of the most influential forces that shaped Jesus' life? It was the Old Testament. I mean, these were the stories that he heard at bedtime when he was going to sleep. These are the stories that were uh, passed down you know, from family to family. These are the words that he quoted uh, from the very beginning of his ministry to the very end. So here's what's going to happen today specifically. We're going to begin where it all started in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. And I just think, you know, this is the first Sunday of the new year. This is going to be a great series and a great, a great place to begin 2019. Now, I'm going to read this verse, this, uh, this verse, one phrase at a time, and I want you to repeat it back to me out loud, okay? So here we go, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Very good. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that one sentence right there is probably the most single, controversial, important sentence that's ever been written. It changed the world. Now, to understand why, you've got to try to imagine what life was like before these words were written, the context in which these words were written. So imagine for a moment that you have never heard that there was a personal, loving, uh, heavenly Father who created all things and wants a relationship with you and promises a home in heaven. You never heard those things. When these words were penned, there were actually a number of myths about creation. And all these myths had, the, had, had very uh, common features that created a dominant worldview of the people living at that time. Now these myths all shared the belief that the universe was filled with many gods. However, all of these gods were limited in power and they were all actually morally fallible. And the result of that belief system was that the people of that day all lived in, in fear and superstition. They worshiped objects like, you know, the sun and the moon, and, and they believed that heavenly bodies influenced the affairs of, of human beings. Man, that just sounds crazy that anybody could believe that, right? Um, but this dominant worldview also had a very low view of humanity. And uh, they engaged in practices like human sacrifices, to try to manipulate the gods. In fact, human beings were thought of as nothing more as pawns in the hands of the gods. We were created to do those things that the gods didn't want to do. And so life in that time wasn't about, you know, serving something greater than yourself. No. 
Life was about a fight for dominance in the midst of violence and elimination of the weak. And so the central belief of the ancient world was that life was really just this endless cycle. One generation gets born, fights for survival, grows old, and dies. And then another one comes along. And so life just was going on without any meaning, without any purpose. There was no ultimate destiny. You know, they didn't think in those terms that all of life, all of history was, was moving toward. No, no sense of authority at, at work in life. And so the result was that life was short, cheap, brutal, and without hope. And that's how people lived. That was their world when these words were written. Now what's amazing to me is that it seems as though that's kind of where we're headed again. And, and I don't think it's any coincidence that the reason we're heading in that direction is because more and more people claim that they don't believe in who? In God. In the existence of a, a personal, eternal, holy God. Now, into this horribly destructive belief system, against that worldview, the writer of Genesis sits down and writes, in the beginning, God. And then he goes on to describe this all-powerful, eternal, personal, loving God that created the heavens and the earth. Those ten words changed the world. Now, in the time that remains this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at three essential principles that the writer of Genesis wants us to understand about the doctrine of creation and specifically how that applies to our lives today. So number one, if you're taking notes, if you're uh, watching us online this morning, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you as well. Number one, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Now I know that sounds kind of basic, doesn't it? But it's very important for us to understand that and let that take root in our hearts. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Let me read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So here's God. He brings design out of disorder. He creates the cosmos out of absolute chaos. He, he births beauty out of barrenness. And you know what? That same loving, heavenly, personal God wants to continue to do that in your life and in mine if we'll let him. I don't know what you came here with this morning. I don't know the baggage that, you're, that you brought into this place. But let me tell you something, God still wants to create design out of disorder. He wants to bring about something, something beautiful out of the chaos and maybe the barrenness of your life. Listen, listen to these verses that describe how God made everything. I'm just going to read through these pretty quickly. Verse 7, so God made the expanse. Verse 16, he also made the stars. Verse 21, God created the great creatures of the sea. Verse 25, God made the wild animals. Verse 31, God saw all that he had what? Made. 
Now, I want you to notice at least five things about God's creation. First of all, number one, it's pervasive. It's pervasive. In other words, what I'm trying to say is when you look up into the sky, you are looking at God's creation. When you go out to the beach, you know, here at Charleston, and, and you look out into the ocean, you are looking at God's creation. There is nowhere you could go out in space, in the universe, everything that you can see, see, and what you can't see, there is nothing that God did not create. It's pervasive. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, and God to receive glory and honor and power for you what? Created all things, and by your will they were what? Created and have their being. Creation is also personal for God. It's personal. In other words, our God is not some detached deity who just kind of haphazardly flings everything into existence from a distance. He is not a cosmic force. May the force be with you. That's not God. The Bible tells us in Genesis that, and you're going to see this, he sees, he speaks, he's personally involved. God takes what is, what is formless and empty and lifeless, and he fills it with purpose and meaning. And he's still a creative God. Number three, creation is pronounced. What I mean by that is that all God had to do was to speak it, pronounce it, and it came into existence. Nine times in the first chapter, we read this phrase, and God said. So, someone said, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God said it, and bang, it happened. You know, that's Emerald Lagasse theology. You know, let there be light, bam, and there was light. And all God had to do was to speak the word, and wonders happened. Psalm 33, 6 and 9 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, the starry host and beneath by the breath of his mouth, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Number four, creation is also precise. Precise. We, we have no, you know, no way to get into all of this this morning, but there is nothing about creation that is haphazard. I mean, everything about it is, is orderly and organized and, and precise. The sequence of events, you know, follows, follows each other perfectly. Think about, you know, just the complexity of, of our bodies, the complexity of nature, you know, the right amount of gravity and oxygen and light and rain and temperature and everything. It's just everything. It's a miracle of precision. Number five, it's also perfect. At the end of each day of creation, we read, and God saw that it was good. In fact, six times God declares that what he did was good. On day six, he contemplates everything that he's created. He watches the wonders that sprang into being by his word. And then in verse 30, 31, it says this, God saw all that he had made and it was what? Very good. Years ago, there's a story that goes that uh, Sir Isaac Newton made an exact miniature replica of the solar system. And uh, at its center, of course, was a very large uh, golden ball that represented the sun, and then revolving around it were all these other small spheres that were attached at the end of rods at, at varying lengths, representing all the different planets, and, and they were all geared together by cogs and belts and wheels to make them move in perfect precision and perfect harmony uh, around the sun in their orbits. And, and one day, as Newton was studying the model, a friend who didn't believe in the biblical account of creation, he stopped by 
by uh, for a visit. And he's marveling at this device, and he's watching as the scientist makes all these heavenly bodies move in their orbits. And the guy exclaims, man, what an exquisite thing. Who made this for you? And without looking up, Sir Isaac replied, nobody. Nobody, he said. That's right, nobody. All these cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together, and wonder by wonders, by chance, they all began revolving in their set orbits in perfect timing. He got the message. You know, that it's, it's actually kind of foolish to suppose that this model just merely what? Happened. You know, that it's actually more senseless to accept the theory that the earth and the vast universe and everything in it just came into being by chance than it is to believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his, in his heart, there is no God. You know what I think? I think some people just don't want to face the alternative. Because if God made everything, and God made you, guess what? He has a claim and a right to your life. You see, I happen to think that the real issue for a lot of people is not intellectual or scientific. I think it's a heart issue. You know, if, if matter plus random and personal chance caused all of this and you, Guess what? You don't have to submit to it. There, there's no call on your life. You, you can live and do whatever you want to. In other words, it's convenient to discount God as the creator because if the doctrine of creation is correct, then the creator actually demands a response. Number two, human beings are the crown of creation. Human beings are the crown of creation. You can't walk away from the first couple of chapters of Genesis without that principle hitting home. It becomes very clear that God created this fully functioning world for our enjoyment. And that there is something different about us. That we are separated from everything else that's around us. That we have a soul. That we're not apes, although sometimes we act like it. Um, and, and there, there's some aspects to humanity, to human beings that are taught in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, and, I, and they're important, and I don't want you to miss them. First of all, we come from dust. We come from dust. Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living, living human being, a living being. You know, we're kind of like uh, little dust bunnies underneath your bed, actually. We are. Some of you hate dust, don't you? You hate the dust. Well, there you go. In fact, Genesis 3.19 reminds us, to dust you will what? You'll return. And, and I, I bring this up because I, just, I think that that truth in and of itself should actually keep us pretty humble. That we're fragile on our own. That we're limited. You know, we we got to continually guard against, you know, this, this pride of humanity. And we need to remember that God is God and we're not. That he is the creator and we are the creation. Now, having said that, you can't read the first couple of chapters of Genesis without understanding that even though we were created from dust, we are much more than dust. We were created with, with dignity. 
You know, verses uh, 26 and 27 of chapter 1 say that we are made in the image of God. We're made in his likeness. That we're not just the result of some sort of, you know, coincidental cosmic accident. That truth in and of itself this morning, listen to me, should bring you dignity. You have value. You have worth. You were created in the image of God. And he wants a relationship with you. You have purpose. You have meaning. You matter, you know, to God. And you're more than just matter. You matter to him. So we are made from dust, although we were created with dignity. And then also, we're commissioned with duties. We have responsibilities. Life is meant to be lived under under God's direction. Uh, Genesis 1.28 says that we're to be fruitful and increase in number, and uh, we've done a pretty good job of that one so far, right? Especially here at Coastal, you know, man, you guys are birthing babies like crazy around here. By the way, don't drink the chocolate milk. That's what it is. That is what it is here at Coastal. Put that milk down. Um, Genesis 2.15, though, goes on to say that Adam was put into the Garden of Eden and told to work it. He was told to take care of it. In other words, once the creator had everything in place, God expects us to care for creation. We're actually supposed to be stewards and managers of all that he has created, caring for this world in which we live. Now, I'm about to say something that you probably thought you would never, ever, ever hear Pastor Chris say, especially if you've been around me for any length of time. So brace yourself, okay? You're all sitting down, so that's good. If you're watching online, sit down. Here here we go. Because of the doctrine of creation, Christians should be the best environmentalists around. Now, okay, now, I know, I know that sounds a little hypocritical coming from someone like me who on occasion has openly mocked tree-hugging, compost-making, recycling, Earth Day whack jobs, okay? So for those of you who clapped, I apologize, and I'm repenting this morning, sort of. So let me explain, okay? Because I think there's there's some truth here that I don't want us to miss, and there is some balance here. I think what has happened is that Christians, over the years, myself included, have kind of thrown out the baby with the bathwater. And um, unfortunately, as Tony Campolo once said, okay, these are his words, not mine, but listen to this. I think there's truth here. Christians have allowed New Age freaks to hijack the environmentalist movement. Okay, those are his words, not mine. Now, but let me get back to the truth here. Why should Christians be the best environmentalist? I think simply because we actually understand what that truly means. We are to be the creator's caretakers. You know, we believe that we were left to manage and care for God's creation. But we understand the difference. We understand the difference between the creator and then all of his creation. We understand that we don't worship creation. There's no such thing, guys, as Mother Earth, okay? You know, creation simply helps us to see 
the beauty and the majesty and the splendor of a holy, loving God. And we also understand as stewards that one day, all of this is going to come to an end. There's a difference. Number three, God wants His creation to live in community with Him and with one another. God wants all of His creation to live, you and I, to live in community with Him and with one another. Uh, A young man from the north was uh, eating in a restaurant here in the south, and uh, everything on the menu came with grits. There's actually a restaurant, by the way, in Mount Pleasant, I think called Grits and Grace or something like that. Somebody gave me a, a gift card to that restaurant. I haven't been yet, but... Um, uh, but so anyway, he was eating at a restaurant here. Everything was, you know, came with grits. And he had never had grits before, and he had never really been sure exactly what grits were. So he asked the waitress, Miss, what exactly is a grit? Her response was, Honey, a grit don't come by itself. That's just the way grits are. They come together. So follow my logic here this morning. You ready for this? We are like grits. Okay, you're a grit this morning. We come together. God made us for community. God actually created us to be together with him and with one another. In fact, all along, you've heard this about creation, and God said it was good, and it was good, and it was good. But then in Genesis 2.18, God says, it's not good. What was not good? It was not good for the man to be what? Alone. Adam needed a companion. He needed community. You and I were created for that. We were created for community. you got to get this today because this really is the heart of Genesis 1 and 2. We were made for intimate relationships. Now, this is important. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. And, and don't you see, community is actually bound up in, in, in the heart of God. It's who He is. Our God exists as three in one. One plus one equals one. And then God made human beings in his image, male and female, and one plus one, and they become what? One. God calls us into community. Why? So that we can bask in the glorious fellowship of his community. The Trinity in his image. I want you to follow this. In verse 1, we see the work of the Father in creation. In verse 2, I don't know if you remember this or not, but who is it that's hovering over the waters? Do you remember? We, it, again, in verse 1, it's the Father. In verse 2, you see the Spirit of God. And then in verse 3, it talks about God creating by speaking, by his word. And then if you turn to the New Testament, to the beginning of the Gospel of John, you read these words. Listen to this. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And verse 14 it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Who's the Word? Who's He talking about there? Talking about Jesus. 
Jesus, you, do you see this? In the very first verses of Genesis, you have this, this hint of the existence of the Trinity, of God existing as the Father, the Son, and, 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 the, uh, and the Spirit. And, and then you drop down to verse 26 in Genesis, and what does it say? Let us make man in our image, in our, in our, in our likeness, plural. You see, the teaching of, of the entire Bible is that God exists before time, in the Trinity, in this unceasing state of love and joy and fellowship. Now, unlike all the pagan myths of that day, again, this is why this was so revolutionary. The God of the Bible did not create you because he is lonely or bored. Rather, this is what you got to get today. Out of the richness and the fullness of this community, the Trinity, God said this idea of, of fellowship, of community, it is so good, it's so rich, it's so beautiful and meaningful. Hey, let's broaden the circle. Let's create human beings, not as God, but in our image, and then let's invite them to bask in the fellowship of community. Don't you see? You were made for relationships. You were created in the image of God, and you were created to have a personal relationship with Him, and, you ready for this, with other people, because that's the heart of God. Listen, when, at Coastal Community Church, when we encourage and, and challenge uh, for you to get involved in community here. In fact, what's the name of our church? Coastal what? Community Church. And we say, hey, we're having a new semester of life groups. It's important to do life with other people. Listen, that, that comes from God himself. That God was created with this idea of relationships. You were made for that. So God created everything. You are the crown of his creation. And because God exists in community and fellowship in the Trinity, you were made for community. Now, really quickly, because of those three great truths, here's some implications I want you to catch for your life and for mine today. Number one, God owns everything. He does. He owns everything. You know, since he is the creator and I'm, in the, I'm the created, I don't own anything. It's all his. Psalm 89, 11 says, the heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that's in it. In other words, guys, listen, you are simply a manager. You are a steward. You know, we, we use that, uh, that term here at Coastal sometimes, stewardship. All that means is you're a manager of all that God has given you. That means that you've got to use your time, your treasures, your money, your talents, your gifts, your home, your car, all of it for his glory and for his kingdom. And one day, we actually believe the Bible teaches that you will stand before God and give an account for two questions. What did you do with Jesus? And secondly, what did you do with everything else? What did you do with everything that I gave you? So the question you've got to settle is this. Who's the owner? I mean, have you settled the ownership issue? You see, if you've settled this issue, then you see everything in your life is just giving back to God because it's all His. Your time's not your time. 
Your money's not your money. Your, your talents, your abilities, all of it, they're, they're not yours. They're God's. And so he's left you here to manage and to leverage all of it for his kingdom. So have you settled the ownership issue? Which leads me to implication number two. Because God owns all things, that means, guess what? He owns me. He owns you. Romans 9.20 says, but who are you, oh man, to talk back to God? Who are you? You're the created, not the creator. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? So since God owns you, then he gets to do what he wants to with your life. Have you settled that issue? Which leads me to number three. I then must submit and surrender my life to him. Because he owns everything and he owns me. Psalm 95.6 says this. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our what? What does the psalmist say? Our maker. You see, the ultimate test of whether or not you really believe the doctrine of creation, that you truly believe that God is our maker, is if you bow your life before him. Because if he's the Lord of the universe, he's also the Lord of your life. But there's something you got to do. That leads me to number four. You've got to allow God to recreate me. And I'm using that word very specifically. Allow God to recreate me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. And think about this in terms of everything that we've talked about here this morning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Therefore, if anyone is in who? If he is in Christ... If you're in Christ, you are a new what? A new what? Creation. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Listen, I don't know what, I don't know how you find yourself here this morning in the beginning of 2019. Maybe, just maybe, just like Genesis chapter 1, you feel like there is a spirit of darkness covering your life. That there is this, this deep void. Just like Genesis 1, you, you're here this morning and there, there's darkness, there's something missing. You know what? Listen to me. You know what? You're right. You're right. Without Jesus Christ in your life, there is there is darkness, and we're going to talk about that next week because this is so, so important. God created us for relationship, for community, and then guess what? We went our own way. We messed this whole thing up, but God has a plan. God had a solution, and it's Jesus, and we're going to talk more about that in detail next week, but I want you to hear this. 
without Jesus Christ in your life, there is darkness. There is a void. But just like Genesis chapter 1, here's what I know that I know that I know. The Spirit of God is here in this place, and He is hovering over you today. And He so desperately wants to recreate you. He wants to make you brand new through Jesus Christ. This is so beautiful. God gets to continue his work of creation and community building through Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And then, oh my goodness, it just keeps getting better. This is so awesome. As God enfolds us then into his family, the church, where then we, we, the church, we get to continue his work of recreating out of chaos and darkness and brokenness and void. And then he uses us, he uses you and me to rebuild and restore and reach out and make a difference. Don't you see? That is the church and that's what we get to be a part of. And that, my friends, is the doctrine of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It literally changed the world. My question for you today is this. Has it changed you? Has it changed you? Have you settled the ownership issue? Have you submitted your life to him? Have you, have you allowed God to recreate you today through Jesus Christ? Man, I can think of nothing better than to begin 2019 brand new, forgiven, with that spirit of darkness wiped away, that you step into the light, that void is gone, that hole in your heart is filled with a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And you can have that today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for your word. I thank you for, I thank you for your creation. God, remind us as believers that there's so much to, to give you praise for. Just the, the beauty, the precision, the pervasiveness, everything, God. You created all things. And we thank you for it. It's reason to give you praise. It's reason to believe in, in who you are and what you've done. And God, we believe that you created us. You made us for a purpose, to bring us into fellowship with you and with others. And listen, this morning, if you are here and you are ready to, to wipe away that spirit of darkness and that, that, that spirit of void in your life, you're ready to come home to God and to be enveloped into his family. Listen, you can do that today. You can be made brand new in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as a prayer. Just pray something like this today. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I do believe. You know, Father, give me faith. The, the little bit of faith I have, I, I bring it all to you today. As much as I understand, and there's a lot of questions I still have, Let's, as, as much as I know, I believe 
I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he existed from the beginning of time. I believe that that was your plan, to send him as a, as a sacrifice for, for me, for my sin. And I admit that, God, I'm, I've blown it. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe that it's Jesus. I believe he went to the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And I put all of my trust and my hope in him and him alone. And now, God, for as long as you would have me on this earth, I just want to follow him. I want to become more and more like you see me now, recreated, brand new and forgiven. We love you, Father. We pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.